I'm Cord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. <laughs> you jumped up and... That's Austin Mace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Vernon, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I got it. Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Uh, our apologies for Kirk Street and Atlanta's time will get to rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone with the National Archives. That means it's time for David Bay brought to you campcan.com. That's Matt Bruning, Austin Nate, and Chris Moxley are here, and I'm feeling sharp on a classified version of tonight's show. Did TCU hurt the argument for playoff expansion? We talk betting with national championship futures, and we scrutinize Matt Bruning's newly released wide receiver rankings. But I want to start here, boys, and I want to start here, and I will incorporate some comments about the national championship game in this conversation. But as we get into 2023, the 2023 season, it's startup season. People are listening for the first time. People are um, finding us for the first time, and people are playing campus to Canton leagues for the first time. So, Chris, I want to start with you. I want you to give us your top five teams that you would want to be invested in if you are doing a C2C startup or Debbie startup today on the college side. Give me the college team, the top five college teams that you would want to be invested in. Yeah, this is going to be in no order, but USC, basically anything you're tied to Lincoln Riley, I think is a a good outcome, especially if you're a quarterback. Uh, I think North Carolina is a sneaky good one. Um, I think they brought in some really interesting transfer candidates, and I think Drake May is kind of that dude. Uh, Ohio State, not sure I need to really explain that one, but basically anything that Ohio State is producing right now is gold. Uh, Texas, who... I think I really like that Sarkeesian pairing, and I think the offensive line has been so good and well-recruited that the next two or three years are going to prove to be very valuable for CFF assets. And then I'm going to the, the 
the king of NFL production, and that is the University of Alabama. I'm not giving up just because they didn't make the playoffs this year. I'm, I'm still investing highly in Alabama assets, and whoever takes over for Nick Saban in three years, two years, whatever it is, I'm probably still investing pretty highly. Matt, top five teams that you need to be invested in in C2Cs. Yeah, my, mine um, are a little bit different than Mox's here. Uh, I, the way I looked at it when, when you posed this question to us, I kind of went to the quarterbacks who were extremely productive last year and kind of wanted to base it off that. So I actually went with Washington. I mean, your guy, Michael Penix, had an incredible year last year. We know Jalen McMillan's coming back. We, we like the rookie that they brought in, Tayshawn Lines, and obviously Kalen DeBoer. I mean, just going in to, to kind of go down a, a Moxley rabbit hole here, I pulled up offensive total, EPA, offensive points per opportunity, success rate, explosiveness. Washington was in the top five of all of those but offensive explosiveness where they were listed at 68. Actually, none of the teams I'm about to mention were very explosive, but they were all very good. Uh, the next team I went with was Ohio State. I will say – I am honestly a little bit worried about that now. If you guys have missed, literally in the past couple hours, there are three of their top offensive linemen have all declared for the NFL draft. Moxley mentioned Texas's offensive line. Ohio State has not done quite a good job recruiting there and developing. I'm a little worried about what's coming up next year, but still Ryan Day, that offense I want to be invested in. Uh, next up for me, Texas. I, I mean, say what you want about how bad Quinn Ewers played down the stretch, which we can argue he did. 27th in offensive EPA, 15th in offensive points per opportunity, 19th in offensive success rate, and then again, 103rd in explosiveness. They were still a really good offense, was as bad as Quinn was. That offensive line with a lot of freshmen was incredibly good last year, a second year in that offense, and you're increasing the playmakers around him with John Tay Cook, DeAndre Moore, Cedric Baxter. I like where that Texas offense is going with Steve Sarkeesian as well. An underrated one for me is UCLA. They had a really good year this year, running the ball and passing. I, I'm very curious to see what that running back room looks like now. I, off the top of my head, his name just jumped out, but I know the running back that was there previously, you guys all like. I like Carson Steele going in there. I think both those guys could easily make up the lost uh, production from Zach Charbonnet, whether it's Colin Schley or Dante Moore as the starter. Again, offense was extremely productive, first in offensive success rate. Uh, 16th in points per opportunity, and uh, what was it? Uh, fifth in total EPA. A really good offense, and Chip Kelly's not going anywhere. And last but not least, USC. Caleb Williams, best quarterback in college right now. You could argue Lincoln Riley. They're going to have more weapons with Mikhail Lemon and Zachary Branch coming in, so they are my fifth team. In no specific order. I probably would put USC first overall, but those are the five. I'm really interested in seeing what Washington does after they lose Michael Penix Jr. because, you know, Kalen DeBoer has always had an explosive offense, whether it be with Jay Kaner or Michael Penix Jr. twice, once at Indiana and then now at, at Washington. It's a really attractive destination. And then you mentioned um, UCLA. Let's give some credit to Dante Moore in that, that Under Armour All-American game. That could be a hard game to produce in. We saw Drew Aller not perform very well last year. And you are playing with guys that you're practicing for a week. You're running a new offense, new terminology, and all that kind of stuff. And he looked outstanding in that game. He looked outstanding. Reminds me of Bryce Young and DJ Uyunglele, what, in 2019? So, yeah, he looked really good, and I don't have a problem with that. I'll go with mine first, Austin, before we jump to yours. And it's interesting that we all have a few of the same. And there's 
there's one team that's being omitted from all of these and that I think is interesting. But anyway, Ohio State, USC, Texas, Alabama, and my fifth team, and I think that everybody has had kind of a struggle with that fifth team, is Penn State. Because I think that the aforementioned Drew Aller is going to be uh, become a national uh, a household name this season. And Nick Singleton is my running back one. I think over the next two seasons, that could be a program that gets some skill position transfers to really uh, boost and and support Drew Aller. They already got uh, uh, our boy uh, uh, Theo Johnson, Detroit stand up, um, who could (laughs) maybe one of these days have a breakout season. But I think that you can see even, you know, a more uh, dominant wide receiver transfer come and, and play at that school. So it was a struggle to to figure out who that fifth team was for me. But for me, it's it's Penn, uh, Penn State. And Austin, I, I would guess that you are going to have some of the same teams that we've already mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I, I have USC, Texas, Ohio State. I don't think we need to rehash any of those. Those are all very obvious answers, and they're all going to be very pricey. So I, 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 I threw Tennessee on here as my fourth. And I think, you know, Josh Heupel, I don't know that he's really in danger of going anywhere else. I, I don't know what big job's going to open up in the near future that he's going to go to. I think he'll be there for a couple years. So I, I feel okay investing in some of those guys. And look, I mean, if if the bowl game was not an aberration, we just watched Josh Heupel take Joe Milton, who had zero awareness, negative awareness on the football field and made him look like a really, really good player. Um they're not going to have any shortage of receivers there over the next couple of years. They've recruited fairly well. So I think that's a really, really interesting offense. And then I threw some bargains on here too, just some teams that I think like you don't need to spend a lot to invest in them. And I think there's a probability or a chance that they, they end up blowing up here over the next year or two. And I think, you know, you can get on the ground floor, so to speak, not have to pay these high prices, a school like Michigan state. Yeah. I know they just had a really bad year. But the year before that, they were actually pretty good. They bring in an underrated recruiting class from a fantasy perspective this year. One of our top quarterbacks, Sam Levitt, coming in there, a kid that we really wanted to go to Washington. They also bring in uh, a couple of fun receivers in this class. They have uh, Keon Coleman still there, who probably doesn't cost. Felix, you talked about that a month or two ago, I think, on the show as a guy, Keon Coleman, a wide receiver that you you would be buying because you thought he was too, uh, too cheap at the moment. So Michigan State's an, an interesting offense. Oregon? going to continue to recruit yeah they lost out on Dante Moore this year guess what they still got money they're still going to be searching for a quarterback in the future I'm not counting out Oregon and what they've got going on there uh Florida State I think Mike Norvell is a pretty good coach I, I think they'll be a good offense next year you know they don't have a succession plan right now at quarterback um so there's some question marks there but I think you know undoubtedly for next year they'll be pretty good Trey Benson uh the running back there probably underrated um and then a controversial one I think at current prices, I will be investing decently in Texas A&M's offense this offseason. They're getting Bobby Petrino in there to be their offensive coordinator. Look, I think it would not shock me if if I go to hell someday that I'll see Jimbo, uh, Petrino, and Durkin all down there in hell with me. But they're good coach, like they're good coordinators. And Petrino has generally gotten pretty good pass offenses going. So I think with Connor Wegman there, who I think is a very good player, we saw their receiving weapons last year. Like I, I think that offense, they'll always be good in the trenches. I think that'll be a good offense too. So those, uh, just some bargain offenses, like you don't have to spend that much on. And I think any of them could have a a better than expected year next season. I didn't know what you all's answers would be, but I suspected that we would all have the same teams included 
and that we would all not include one team, that being this Georgia Bulldogs team that just smashed TCU in the national championship game, which I think is, I heard was the large or the largest uh, point margin ever. Not just in a was, yeah. like like in a bowl, excuse in a bowl game, yeah. ever. Um, this team hung forty nine on Oregon to open the season. They put fifty on LSU in the SEC championship game. Mox, do you think that this team, after the defense that they had last year, do you think that this team will be remembered? as one of the great college football teams with 2001 Miami, uh, the 2019 LSU Tigers, that those, those 03-04 USC teams with Lendell White, Matt Leinart, uh, Dwayne Jarrett, Reggie Bush. Do you think that this Georgia team will, will be remembered amongst those elite? I actually don't know if it's as good as their last year's team on paper. <laughs> um this was a really good team. This is also a down year, I think, for college football in general. I just there just weren't a lot of elite teams at the top. SEC was down, so you didn't really have a, the same gauntlet that you usually do. This is a good team, and Georgia will go down as one of the better teams of this decade. But I and that is speaking as a unit, not necessarily this team standing out. Um, it's a good team. It will go down as a top. 10 team in the last 25 years ish. Like, I don't want to discount what they did this year. Like this was a dominant team from start to finish. They held on to number one throughout the season. Never faltered depending on where you looked. I just thought it was really good. Good unit. I wouldn't call it an elite unit. They just, they just lost a lot. First round NFL draft picks. Broderick Jones, left tackle. Darnell Washington, supposedly going to be a first round tight end. Brock Bowers, eventually. Nolan Smith, even though he didn't play in this game. Kylie Ringo, Jalen Carter. Um, Chris Smith, who is Cedric Van Praan? Mock, I'm pretty sure you put. I didn't, they, they have like 12 day two picks or day one, day two picks. That's why I added them to the sheet. <laughs> I think the reason why I'm pointing this out. I do not think that they, despite winning back-to-back national championships, despite that Georgia defense last year being historically great, we do not elevate defense the same way we elevate offense. The great teams that we remember, we remember them for their offense. You can even go back to those old Nebraska teams in the 90s. We remember them for their offense. 2001 Miami, who can you name? Andre Johnson, uh, uh, Clinton Portis, the uh, 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 Jeremy Shockey on those teams, Ken Dorsey, you know, same with the LSU Tigers, Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall, Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think because of fantasy football to a certain respect and because the media only covers offense, we won't remember this team as being like a historically great team. And they may deserve that those type of accolades but because we just don't value that side of the ball and we don't value like the trenches and winning up front and all that kind of stuff austin i don't think that this team is going to be remembered as historically great when we look back five years from now we're not going to say that you know this run was one of the best runs of all time i actually think it's going to be the opposite i think they'll be remembered as great when they shouldn't be because solely because of the score line in that final game where and I've heard some people talk about this, and I think they're right that 
Like if they played this game a thousand times, Georgia would not beat TCU again that bad, even though I don't think Georgia would really lose to many of those 1000 games. Like literally everything for TCU went wrong. And I don't think they really had a good shot at winning this game anyway, or really keeping it close. I mean, Chris and I talked about it. Like I was, I bet Georgia to cover. I'm pretty sure he bet Georgia to cover. Like I live bet Georgia to continue to cover. Um, like, you know, I, I, I was pretty sure that was going to happen, but I mean, Georgia had all these, these breaks. They, they, they killed, they crushed momentum when they needed to, they, I, I, and they probably played like the perfect game for them. Like, as far as they were concerned, like the game was probably called perfectly offensively. Like it, it, they just had a lot of things that like, if you did it a thousand times, you may not have happened. So, uh, but I, I, I do think that will get them remembered more than maybe they should be. And I think the Stetson Bennett story will get them remembered too. Matt, last season, last season we had Jamison Williams go down in the championship game. I think that changed the dynamic of this game. This season, your Ohio State Buckeyes had them really on the brink and probably should have won that game. Marvin Harrison Jr. goes out in that game. Are they the Georgia Bullfrogs again? Bullfrogs for the second year in a row. I'm really torn on what to think about this Georgia team. I don't think you can call them frauds going back to back. You just can't regardless of the circumstances around winning back-to-back national championships. Like, you just, you can't. Uh, Where I kind of agree with Moxley, and I I actually somewhat disagree with Austin, I don't think they'll be remembered that way, even with the score against TCU. I think they'll be discounted because it was against TCU. And I, I think this year they struggled. In games, you go look at that. You brought up the LSU team, for example. I just pulled it up because I didn't remember them struggling. They were blowing teams out 65 to 14, 66 to 38, 42 to 6, 58 to 20, 56 to 37, 50 to 7. Their only game within multiple scores was the Alabama game. That's it. And they blew out a very good Clemson team, offensively and defensively. That was a sound, uh, sound Clemson team. Georgia struggled last year. I would argue their better team was actually last year with that elite defense. And they lost, got blown out to Alabama. And as you mentioned, I know some people bring it up. I'm not going to discount the national championship because Jamison Williams got knocked out. But if he doesn't get knocked out, they don't win that by double digits. That's a close game down to the end. I think Bryce Young's driving down the field to possibly make that a tight game and not get an interception because he has a guy like Jamison Williams to go to. So I think they will be remembered as a good team. I do not personally think they are an overall great team that deserves to be put up on the pedestal with LSU and them, but they probably end up, I think will be just because they won back to back. And that is so rare. And realistically, they have a shot to go for a three P. And if they do that, Kirby smart, Georgia will be remembered as an historically great run, whether they necessarily, at least in my opinion, deserve to be there or not. I still don't think we'll respect them if they win three in a row like without some prolific prolific offense. um, I just don't think that we will remember them that way. Matt, TCU getting smashed like this, did it hurt college football? Did it hurt the argument for playoff expansion? I actually think it did the opposite. And here's why. TCU is not playing in this game in a 12-team playoff. They may have still been the four seed, and they probably still get a bye based on however you want to look at it, but they're not making it to the national championship. I get everybody's arguments that some of these games are going to be blowouts and they're going to be bad games. Yeah, okay, that's fine. You're right. We've not, in in any playoff era, we have not gotten three good games. It's been one or two, never three. 
The difference with this is, is now TCU is likely going out in the second round, and it's going to end up giving what all the old heads want, what everybody was arguing about on Twitter, saying we wanted Alabama in this game. It's going to end up being that. It's going to end up being the Ohio States, the Clemson, if Clemson can get back up to where they were a couple years ago, the Clemsons, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Michigans of the world are going to be in the top 10, nine out of 10 years. You're going to get one run every 10 years by a TCU team, and we'll think it's cool, just like we did when the New York Giants went from a wild card team in and winning the Super Bowl. We'll talk about it. So look at this great run. It's going to help whatever franchise does that. You know, if it, if it is a TCU, like, holy shit, look at what, what Sonny Dykes has done. It's going to be great for TCU. But at the end of the year, at the end of the decade, I think nine out of 10 years you're getting, it's going to be Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia in your final four every year. We're going to get the games that we really wanted. You just get a little bit more fun in between there before we get to those games. Mox, you seem to agree with with Matt. Yeah, I I find it hard to believe we're going to get a story like Cincinnati we had last year, a group of five team making the playoffs, or TCU in a 12-team format, just because they have to go that gauntlet that they don't necessarily have to do so now. TCU making it to the championship was probably like the most odds perspective, surprising championship in the last I don't know 25 years 30 years maybe uh, like at least that long and just shockingly so I'm not sure we're going to see that something like that for another 20-30 years well that's a good point because I want to talk about futures uh, for next year national championship futures for next year but before we do that Mox take us uh, take us through housekeeping yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, make there, making sure that you are liking and subscribing to our content. We have a ton of stuff that is being released here each and every day and at least weekly, including W Debate. If you are watching on our YouTube, make sure that you're giving us racer reviews. Regardless of where you're listening to us, that helps us grow the podcast and that helps us expand to new audiences. And that is huge for our growth and as well as expanding the company and really trying to get college football to the masses in our format. Make sure that you're engaging with us. And we also have live streams. We want to talk with y'all. I see a bunch of y'all in the comments right now. We're going to engage. We're going to talk with y'all. We want to do everything we can to engage with our audience and make sure that we're honestly talking through uh, the best stuff that we can and making sure that the audience has a say in that we want to um, be as forefront as possible with y'all. Austin, I don't think it's hyperbole, but since June or excuse me, January 1st came around, we'll seem to be excited about starting new leagues. Activity is picking up in the Discord. Like this is prime startup season, and this format is growing. Yeah, I, there's so we have like a um, like a, an ads area where you can just post league openings in our Discord, and I've seen a dozen this week, probably even more than that. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's spots out there if you want to hop in and try something out, it's not even C2C. Like, I know you love to say that it's the fastest growing format. And I, I mean, I, I love the format too, but if you're not ready for that, try a Debbie league, try a small CFF league, try a best ball that you don't have to, you know, manage week in week out, like try any sort of thing that's related to college football and see if you like it. Cause I think there's, there's, you don't have to love the one format to love another one. And I think most people will find some sort of appreciation in, in one of them or the other. Let's go through these national championship futures for next season. Georgia 
the leader in the clubhouse at plus 260, Alabama uh, at plus 500, Ohio State at plus 750, Michigan at plus 1,000, USC plus 1,400, Clemson plus 1,600, LSU plus 1,800, uh, Florida State plus 2,000, Tennessee plus 2,200, Texas plus 2,200, Notre Dame plus 25. I think I'll stop there. Matt, do you have a favorite pick uh, amongst these? I mean, USC, if, if I'm going for like trying to get big bang for my buck, USC's interesting. Then bringing back Alex Grinch doesn't really give me a lot of faith that they're, I still think they've got a shot to get any team that gets there, as we just saw with TCU, has a shot. So obviously TCU ends up going and getting blown out. I really do agree with a lot of what Austin said in that game. I don't think that score was really indicative of, of how TCU played that year, what it could have been in, in different circumstances. I mean, I still think Ohio State has a shot. So does Michigan. I mean, Michigan, I think the fact that they have worse odds is weird to me. And the fact they beat Ohio State two years in a row and won the Big Ten, and they're bringing most of their team back. I just mentioned Ohio State's losing their starting quarterback. They lost their their starting wide receiver, Jason. I know he didn't play this year, but now we know he's gone for sure. They just lost three offensive linemen, so they're an interesting one. You know, I, I'm going to go back. I, I know it's going to upset some people. I don't really care. Don't do it. I said it all don't last it. year. 2023 is the year for Texas. They, if they win the Big 12, they're in the playoff. And that's really good odds. I mean, that, and that's all I, I'm basing it off of there right there. You've got to get in. It's hard for me to bet a, a Clemson uh, just because I, I want to see what that offense and everything's going to look like. I do think that the, the ACC is going to be a little bit better. And it's hard for me to bet anybody else in the SEC because I still think Georgia and Alabama are going to be the tops there. So uh, for me, it would just be those. I mean, I'll be honest. Austin brought up Texas A&M. They are intriguing. Come on, man. Don't say that. I'm sorry. I, go ahead. Yeah, that's what I'm Austin, talking. Who well, do you have? Who do you have? I like Texas. Is there anybody else in Texas you like? I got both. I got uh, bingo on you uh, hyping up 2023 Texas I, on my my card here tonight. So thank you for that. That was good. Yeah, Texas A&M. I think is a sneaky one. If you're just looking for a team that's that like Texas A&M's odds will not be plus five thousand by week five. They will be significantly like better odds. Their beginning of the year schedule is not particularly strong. They play like I mean I know it wasn't last year, but I think I, I think Bobby Petrino makes a big difference. He's not the world's best offensive coordinator, and he's not going to fix everything overnight. But he's an established enough coach that if he's going there, he can tell Jimbo to go like to stop. Like I I'm doing this, and he has enough of a background where he can do that. Like so I don't know whether that's you know Jimbo wants that or not, but Petrino can do that. He's a strong enough personality, and he will. And I think that offense with Connor Wegman another year there, I think can be pretty darn good. Uh, so I, I think A and M is a really, really interesting team because I think they can sneak up. They play uh, – they really just have to get past Bama there on the on the uh, the other side of the SEC there. Ge Georgia has such an easy path. Like, honestly, if I'm actually putting money on this, I'm just putting it on Georgia. Their schedule is a joke, if anyone has seen their schedule. It's, yeah, it is. Like that, it's not their fault that right now the east of the SEC is crap, but it is. And their out-of-conference schedule is just so, so it bad. Is. It's like it Tennessee, is. Martin, Ball State – like it's just it's so bad. It's it, Georgia Tech because it's a rivalry. Like it's it's so bad. So I mean, I think Georgia's just like easy money. Uh, I want to go with a longer shot. Plus four thousand Washington. Now I remember at the beginning of the season, I was like, Washington can make a run, and they ended up beating, um, or like Oregon, the the and USC, the two biggest tests 
on their schedule. Next season, obviously, they'll play those two. They play Oregon at home. Um, they'll play Utah at home. They'll play at USC. And Austin, I think everybody's coming back. All the important skill p- players on offense are coming back. If we assume that Michael Penix Jr. is going to be healthy for another season, and that line kept him clean this year. They kept him clean this year. We're talking about plus 4,000 on a Washington team that could come out of the Pac-12. They upgraded their running back, too, I think. I think Dylan Johnson's better than the guy they had there last year. I can't. I have the yips. Someone did say it right. I I can't pronounce any names right now. So I think it's Talapapa. I thought thought it was Talapapa. I think it's Talapapa. Um, uh, But I like, I like, I like U.S. uh, Or excuse me, Washington at plus 4,000. And then USC at plus 1,400. I like that they can pull it together, and Caleb Williams is Caleb Williams, and and they're upgrading at least at the wide receiver position. I think um, with some fresh with the freshman coming in, and they got Dorian Singer coming in. So uh, those would be my two. Those would be my two. I'm surprised that these odds are not they're not better odds like this far down on the list. Um, I think I was looking at last year's list mocks, and like Washington was plus fifty thousand. Um, you're it's it's the TCU curse where a team like teams who have no shot are getting bumped up and like it's a sucker's bet in my opinion to take anybody at like plus ten thousand, but a lot of teams that aren't have no shot are are listed there. So, well, I mean, this, this how much how much of that also is the fact that we we've talked about it earlier in the show, and I think. I think college football is in a really weird place right now, too. Like, we think Georgia may take a small step back. We don't know who their quarterback is going to be. Alabama looked vulnerable. Like, who? who's that team? You, I, I would say Georgia is the number one team going into 2023, but do you have them, like, confidently ahead of everybody else? Again, just mentioned everybody that Ohio State lost. You know, are you betting? With Carson, Beck, with Carson Beck taking snaps? I don't think so. I mean, I trust Todd Munkin. I mean, look what he did for Stetson Bennett. But, like, I, I just think there's so many questions that I think the uh, that's probably why the odds are the way they are because I feel like we've said it before. I think college football is coming back to uh, getting away from these two dominant teams, and we're seeing Parody. more kind of um, – Parody, if Parody. you want to use that word. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so uh, Shane's asking in the chat, T, uh, Florida State's plus 2,000 right now. Now, that's that you might be able to shop around and see some slightly different lines, but you're going to probably get that range for them. Uh, longer shots UNC plus 10,000, TCU plus 6,000, uh, AM is plus 5,000, Oklahoma is plus 5,000. So um, there you go. Let us know at uh, Campus to Canton on Twitter. If you are taking any futures, if you placed a bet on some future, we need to get a betting sponsorship with like, you can't place futures on uh on prize picks, can you? I don't think uh, they do it's individual just... player futures once the season starts getting close. Okay. They'll drop okay. like Caleb Williams over, you know, 4,000 passing yards. They'll, they'll do that. We need to, uh, we need to get like the, the MGM grand or, or a draft Kings or somebody like that. Call us, call us. Call us. All right. Um, let's transition here to Matt, your wide receiver rankings. What, what, Mox? I don't what? get to give my favorites. Oh, did we skip you? Oh, my bad. My bad. You don't know, my you don't bad. know anything about betting. I'm You're just, the one of the four of us that just doesn't know anything. Right? Right. I had Florida State. That was my number one. I like I love them at plus two thousand. Uh, I think they've dotted a lot in the portal. Uh, and they have a clean shot, I think, to win the ACC. 
I think they're a better team than Clemson, even though Clemson has better odds. I love Texas at 2,200. I think that they're a great uh, option to win the Big 12 as well. And I think that on both sides of the ball, they're doing a lot. They brought in Jalen Catalan yesterday. Huge addition to that secondary. I like Penn State. I think Penn State 2,500 is pretty interesting. Basically, you need to have the athletes that can keep up with an Alabama or Georgia. And I think Penn State and Texas certainly do. Florida State, I just think, has good schemes. But what do uh, I know? I just I just Kevin McAllister Jew. Um we were we were we were in the plane and I just realized, oh my goodness, we left uh we left Mox we left we, we just talked we just talked about Washington as like a sleeper team to to win a conference, and that's really what you're kind of trying to pick with some of these early lines, like who's kind of an outside shot but still realistic to win their conference because that that'll get you to the playoff and then you're cooking. Utah brings back Cameron Rising. Like I don't know that they're going to see a significant drop off at the skill positions. They lose um, um, uh, one of their tight ends, but they bring back uh, uh, Brant Queeth. They, they they have Kincaid. like a, just a what. Kincaid, Kincaid, Kincaid Dalton Kincaid. Direct. Thank you. They they had they might have upgraded their running back. We'll see what Jaquin Jackson is, but at the very least, he's he's a better athlete than Tavian Thomas was, and he didn't play that much last year anyway. Like I, I think they're still a sneaky team. They a lot of continuity there with that program, and you know, Whittingham's going to Whittingham. So it's Whittingham, it's like one of three. Well, I was going to say Whittingham's going to Whittingham means he's going to lose a game he shouldn't. That, that's what that's the reason I'd be fearful of Utah. I actually worry about Utah moving forward, but that's a conversation probably for a different day. Give me the spark notes, uh, Mox. I just think that they haven't recruited really well against on the defensive line, and they're kind of playing soft, and they have been for a little while. Yeah, I think they got exposed last year, and I don't think they brought in what they need to. I don't think they have the offensive skill positions that they need on, on, on offense. I mean, they have one tight end that's good, and Devon Bailey, I think, is – out and they don't really have a receiver that I like. So what are you going to do? Run the ball with Cameron Rising and Quinn and Jackson like 40 times? Maybe. But you're fourth in Pac-12 odds for a reason. Those are spark notes. Let's move on to some skill position players. Uh, Matt Bruning, you released your wide receiver rankings earlier this week. Um, do you want to go through your your rankings and not talk about them to the you know whatever extent you want to? Yeah, I, mean, I I can just I can give you the the list here. I mean Marvin Harrison Jr. I think that's kind of self explanatory. He's arguably the best wide receiver in college football. I put Mecca next. Uh, I think he's kind of been. I think Austin, you said this recently too. Like he's been, I think, extremely underrated in that offense, especially with how much we talk about Marvin Harrison. Like Mecca's produced. I think he's a really he was the number one wide receiver in his class. Uh, I think he's still got a chance to be really good this year. Uh, my next was Luther Burden, and I just I've been honest about this. Like I, I'm not. Granted, this is not a a metric that I'm sure a lot of people like base their fantasy analysis on, but he knocked out multiple, almost all I believe, of our year zero thresholds. All and I'm them. told all, all of them. I'm told when you do that, that means you're very very good. He was a true freshman in a really bad offense that we, you know, was, I, at least in my opinion, a little bit raw coming into college. Like, I'm not going to knock him because he didn't go out there and knock everybody's socks off like everybody says Evan Stewart did. But Evan Stewart had good games. He never dominated a game. He he was consistent all year long. So, at least he in my opinion. He also arguably 
also arguably cost them the Mississippi State game with a couple of really yeah, bad drops. I, I mean, one. So, and I'm not trying Stewart, to say Evan, yeah. Evan Stewart's bad, like because again, he Luther Burton, in my opinion, didn't didn't at least take over a game in in an essence that Evan Stewart did. But I don't feel like he dominated anything, and people are saying he's ten times better. I just don't see that. So I put Evan Stewart, though, next because that is where he's ranked behind Luther Burden. Next for me is Barry and Brown. You know, I've had that argument with you guys on here. I like Barry and Brown. I don't know how great I feel about Devin Leary going to that offense. He might be a lot better than Will Levis. So we'll see how good that is for Barry and Brown and Dan Key. He could easily, I think, be wide receiver three here, but that's just how I've had those three ranks. So I left him there for now. Uh, next for me is Matthew Golden. We saw how productive Tank Dell has been in that offense, and now he's gone. And we're presuming Matthew Golden's going to take take a step forward. I don't give, I don't care that he finished whatever in whatever. I don't even know off the top of my head right now what conference they played in and where he finished fiftieth in receiving yards. I don't care. I'm going based off his fantasy production, what he could do next year. And I do think he is an NFL player with NFL skill traits. He's going to be in the Big Twelve as well. So you can't keep knocking that he's going to be a G five wide receiver because he will play at least one year. And I believe two in the Big Twelve, so that's a Power Five conference. Uh, next for me is Antonio Williams. Same thing. He could you could argue him being higher. It's just my fears of the Clemson offense. That's really all it is. I, I, as uh, that's been Austin's guy, he's been right on him. He absolutely killed it this year as a true freshman. I just don't know how much I want to trust in Dabo right now in in ranking a guy that much higher. Malik Neighbors, I battled back and forth on putting him here at eight. Uh, but how productive he was with Jaden Daniels, who was not a good passing quarterback. And I think there's a realistic shot that Garrett Nussmeyer could at some point take over. And we saw how good he looked in that bowl game as well with Nussmeyer. Like, I think Malik Neighbors has a shot to really shoot up this draft board. And then I put two freshmen I think are going to be really good. And actually, the one thing I hate is I probably should have put Brandon Ennis up here because I think he's going to be a major factor in the Ohio State Buckeyes offense. But... I went with Zachariah Branch and John Tay Cook because they are my two highest-rated freshman wide receivers. I think John – and I know Austin said – he may have said this on the shows. He's been saying it behind the scenes, so I will definitely give him credit on this. Like He's talked about how he thinks John Tay Cook could be really good this year. Even with, with Xavier where he leaves, I believe you've said he could lead the team in reception or in yards, whatever, be the best wide receiver. And even if he stays, you expect him to have a good season. I would not be surprised if he outproduces Xavier Worthy if Xavier Worthy's there. I just I just wouldn't. I think Jonte brings a completely different part to that offense. I think he could start over Jordan Whittington fairly early uh, within that season. And then Branch, I don't know that he starts super early, but with whatever thing he can do return-wise, punts, kicks, like I think he gets on the field. And again, I just want people who are paired with, with Caleb Williams, and I just don't think Mario Williams is going to be it. He, he's not showing us the ability to really step up and take over a game. And so I think Makai Lemon and Branch are going to get those opportunities. And so I put them there because again, these are, as I, as I argued with people, these are C to C rankings. So the college production does matter. And I want to get in on some of these freshmen. The argument I made that some people didn't like is Felix and myself had Marvin Harrison jr. As a top 15 wide receiver coming in as his freshman season. You have never been able to get him any cheaper from that point. He has got nothing but risen to wide receiver three last year, and I'm pretty sure he's wide receiver one for all of us. So if you listen to me and Felix, and you didn't even have to take him back then at wide receiver 15, you're probably pretty happy with where you drafted him wherever you took him. So something I have learned, I, I try to incorporate everything I learned from you guys because I respect you all. Austin has been very big on I, I freshmen that I truly believe in. I rank a little bit higher because I want to be able to get them and, and ride on what I think they're. Moxley, same thing. He touts that a lot. He's, he's heavy on freshmen. Typically, I don't do that. I'm switching up the way I've done my rankings. I'm betting on those guys. There's 
a bunch of guys in this 12 to 24 range are like, great. Jalen McMillan, he's been cool. Xavier Worthy, he's been cool. I don't know that I really expect him to be that great this year and then go on and be these knockout NFL players. So why do I want to keep betting on them and putting them up here in my top 10 just because they produced as freshmen? I don't care. That's one season. You have to take the whole picture here. So that's why I've dropped some of those players. I know it upset some people. I've kind of gotten to a point where I don't care. I really don't anymore. Like, I'm going to do my thing. If you don't like it, go to Austin's rankings. That's fine. You don't have to use mine. Go to Austin. Go to Felix's. We have six rankers for a reason. We're all, in my opinion, very smart at what we do. So uh, that's why I rank the players where I ranked them this year. Do you want to talk a little bit about Xavier Worthy and him being absent uh, from your, your, your top 10 here? I mean, you spoke to it a little bit, but more specifically, you know, why you don't have him uh, ranked in your top 10. And where do you have him ranked? I believe he's four. No, I don't think I dropped him down to 14. I think he's like 12. I don't think I dropped him that far. He was eight for me before we removed the players. And as I mentioned, when I was talking about with some people on Twitter, I I bumped some of the freshmen up because I just believe in them more. I actually find it fairly interesting. I went to look, obviously, knowing that we were going to talk about this. And nobody has him ranked that highly anymore outside of Felix. But I know you're working on your rankings right now. So I don't even know where you have Xavier Worthy ranked. Austin, you've removed him from your rankings completely. Yeah, I accidentally – I just added okay, him back I was, in as we were saying I didn't know here. if you were re- doing that as like a joke. So I was like, no, I don't I, know where Austin has him. I just um, realized that because I was like, so where do I have him? Yeah. He's 11 for me. And if uh, being honest, I'm moving Brandon Innes up above him right now. So he's going to be 12. What – what are we expecting him to be? We've talked a lot about, I think, his issues. And, and Mike, I'm going to give Mike Valerie a massive shout-out about this. I listened to back Hollywood to Debbie. Brown. Uh, Hollywood Brown is what we would expect okay. him to be. How productive has he been at the NFL level? And you can say some of it's injury. Some of it has been the bad I, bad system. I don't want to say Lamar's not a bad quarterback. Bad system in Baltimore. But what has he done? And you know what? One thing I'll give Hollywood Brown, he doesn't struggle with the drops that Xavier Worthy does. He doesn't struggle with the ball tracking that Xavier Worthy does, which is my biggest issues with him. You can't be this deep threat if you can't catch the ball and you can't track it either. I get some of those throws were on Quinn Ewers. I'm not going to argue that. But Corey and Mike talked about it on Back to Debbie today. I would seriously suggest you guys go check out that episode. It was a great episode. They've only they credited Xavier Worthy with six drops this year. He had four in that bowl game. I don't know how they credit drops. I watched him have four in that bowl game, and he's only got credited with six on the year. They credited him with three alone in that game. Another four in the Oklahoma State game, by the way. Exactly. And and Mike Valerie Valerie brought this up, and he's 100% right on that as well. He struggled with drops as a freshman, and then he's not improved at all on it in his sophomore year. Why do I expect him to then improve on it going into his junior? And if he doesn't, why are we ranking him as this elite asset if he's not improving? Because the whole point of this is to see improvement. We've seen improvement out of everybody on that list outside of the two freshmen, which we can't see anything because they have not technically taken a snap on the college football field. I don't know that he's going to be that great in Texas because another thing that I'm going to mention, that dude's head is all over the place. He leaves Michigan before ever starting goes to Texas. After his freshman season, he wants out, doesn't leave. Now after his sophomore season, he wants out, looks like he's not going to leave. What do you What do you want to do, Xavier? Make up your mind. You want to go to USC? Go. Like, nobody's stopping you. Stop trying to make up what – either commit somewhere and do something or don't. But I just think that he's getting way overhyped because of one freshman season. And realistically, there's a lot of holes in his game that I don't think pe- enough people talk about because he had 900 yards as a, as a freshman and everybody talks about he, he broke out, which a lot of that was yak because Hudson Carr was getting it to him five yards away from him and then Xavier Worthy was taking it to the house. Bravo, kid. Bravo. That's all I got. Um, 
that's all. That's all after four minutes. Um, well, you said go, so I went. So I, I know in doing these rankings and looking at yours, I realized that, man, wide receiver is going undergoing a huge, huge overhaul uh, this year. And I want to ask you, are, are there – like I was trying to look for some players that I think could drop into – come into the top ten – but there, there's not a lot of established names. Just there just aren't out there. So let me tell me what you think about some of these names. Um, Adam Randall, Clemson wide receiver, freshman last year. You know, one of these DK Metcalf body type, maybe athleticism. Um, what what about Adam Randall? I think that Antonio Williams is going to be the guy there. I don't know that Cade and that offense support two wide receivers. That's kind of my big fear with him. Uh, I don't know that he jumps up in top 10. Now, I've got him currently 22. Can he drop top 15? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see any issue with that. I don't know that he goes top 10, just because I think Antonio Williams has solidified his role as the alpha on that team. I think if you're coming to us and playing the format for the first time, you could be looking for an Alabama wide receiver, and there's not one in your um, top 10. Is there someone there at Alabama that you could see jumping into the top 10? And who would that Jacory Jacory Brooks. He's 13 for me right now. And the big thing for that is I want to see, I expect it to probably be Ty Simpson after what we saw at a Jalen Milrow. I don't know how he takes like massive jumps forward to be the starter next year. So I'm expecting it to be Ty Simpson. If Simpson is everything that we've projected him to be, then Brooks should be fine. So he would be the guy. I have him at 13. It's more of he's had moments, but like he's never kind of the same thing I've argued with with some of the other guys. Like he's never really like dominated anything. So like I want to see what he's going to be is probably the number one wide receiver at Alabama this year. Uh, you you talked you spoke a little bit to why you had Luther Burden over Evan Stewart, and you talked about you know having dominating performances. I would argue with you that Evan Stewart came closer to dominating this season than than excuse me that yes that Evan Stewart came closer to dominating this season than Luther Burden did, and Evan Stewart did it down the field. His best game on the season was arguably against. Uh, played McKinstry in Alabama when they when when Texas A&M played Alabama eight for 108 in that game are you should you rethink and have Evan Stewart ranked ahead of Bird and Austin I want your take on that too because I know that you're still a big Burden fan despite uh, I see a lot of LaVisca Chenault and Luther Burden at least how he's utilized it's almost exactly the same behind the line of scrimmage jet sweep uh uh, uh quarterback uh uh wildcat quarterback all that kind of stuff. So, um, talk to me. Matt. So, this was this made the show a lot of fun. Our first year, I was really reactionary. One two games kind of shifted my mindset on things, and I, you know, proclaimed some things maybe I shouldn't have. And I said it all at the beginning of this year. We talked about things we want to improve in our process. I said I want to take my time in making decisions. Evan Stewart was very good. But if I'm being honest, coming into his freshman season, he was like my wide receiver four. I, I did not have him. What, Luther Burden was my wide receiver one. In my opinion, he has done nothing to knock himself off of that spot right now because he was, while not used the way Evan Stewart was, you could also argue even when Haynes King was throwing Evan Stewart the ball, Luther Burden hasn't had a quarterback that competent throwing him the ball. I want to see what he does this year. Now, if Luther Burden goes out there and struggles to do anything, if he's used gimmicky, kind of like he was this year, then yeah, Evan Stewart's going to jump him probably in three or four weeks. 
But Luther Burden was my number one by a fair margin in that freshman got him coming in. And I just don't see any reason to knock him off because as we mentioned, he knocked, he hit every year zero, every year zero thing that we have in there. And to everything that Kristen and Austin have done, they've done a lot more research into this than I have. I just look at them because I know that they know what they're doing. Tells me that means he's going to be a special player. So I'm going to take my shot on Luther Burden, figuring that out and becoming the player I expect him to be. As I said, when I talked about it, I think those three that I have at three, four, and five are very interchangeable. And I have no, like if, if Felix, if you were like, I think Evan Stewart deserves to be there. Okay. I'm not going to argue that. If Austin said he thinks Barry and Brown should be above those two, I'm not going to argue that. I think those three for me are so tightly grouped together that coming in Luther Burden was my one. I just don't see any reason to knock him off that because he didn't, he wasn't a zero. He didn't do nothing. He just didn't produce necessarily the way those other two did, but he wasn't in the same situation. Austin, uh, can you speak to whether or not Evan Stewart should be ranked ahead of Luther Burden? And if you don't think so, tell me what you think Luther Burden's development could look like because he was limited in the way that Missouri used him this year. But do a little bit of projecting and what we could see from him uh, this following season, this next season, excuse me. My only real worry with Luther Burden is that he – I worry that he stays at Missouri when he shouldn't because he cares a little more about the almighty dollar than some of the other recruits have shown to. Like, I think it's just a fact, like he has like all these like potato chip deals and like all these, these weird things to keep him at Missouri. And I think if he would be willing to take 60 cents on the dollar and go somewhere a little better, I think that would be a smarter move for him. But beyond that, um, I also have burden ahead of Stewart. I have four, Receivers from that class all side by side by side in my rankings. I, I I think they're fairly interchangeable. For me, after a freshman year where they all produced, like so it's it's the similar guys that Matt has in the order. I, I have Luther Burden three, I have Barry and Brown four, I have Antonio Williams five, I have Evan Stewart six. That's the order I had them in going into last year. And I think they all produced at a level where I don't know that I can separate you know, them at this stage. Like, yeah, I think Stewart projected or did a little better working downfield. I also just think that burden, like, I actually think that, that Dominic Lovick leading this year will be a blessing for him. I think that he'll get to be used. I think they had very strict rules as to what everybody did in that offense last year. I think we're going to get to see burden in an expanded role going into the season without love it there. So I am cautiously optimistic. I think he's got just as good, if not better size. I think he's, a bit more physical. I think he's going to be a very, very good player in his own right. So I don't see any reason to bump him below, but I think I wouldn't argue with anybody because I know there are people out there that are very staunchly Evan Stewart, and I don't know that it's a wrong take to have him ahead of of Burden. Matt, there's one more name that I want to ask you about, and you mentioned um, Jonte Cook and Evan Stewart at this school, but I don't want to forget about Isaiah Nayor. Do you think that he could have a Cedric Tillman-like impact on this offense, especially with a quarterback who struggled with accuracy late in the season? Could Isaiah Nayor and Austin, you're shaking your head no. Um, Oh, you saw that. (laughs) Yes, I did see that. But could Um, Isaiah Nayor, who was, uh, you know, when when we were listening to spring last year, it was 1A, 1B, Xavier Worthy, Isaiah Nayor. Yeah, it was 1A Isaiah Nayor over 1B Xavier Worthy, which, again, I think can, people forget that narrative, which I think, again, just speaks to 
maybe the overinflating of Xavier Worthy. I don't know Cedric Tillman, but do would I be surprised if he is the best producing wide receiver on Texas this year? No, I do not. I, I do think that he can be very good for Ewers because the one thing I do trust with Nayor is he's probably not going to drop the ball when it's thrown to him like it is Worthy. And I don't know if they will use him down the field exactly what they'll do because I do think Jonte Cook I, – I expect Jonte Cook to get on the field with just how good he looks. So I, I will be very curious to see how they use those three, especially because Jatavian Sanders was a huge outlet for Quinn Ewers last year. I think he's going to play a major piece into this passing game as well, which is going to hurt all three of them as well. So I don't know that he has a Cedric Tillman-type season, but would I be surprised if, say, he finishes as like a, a top 30 CFF wide receiver and, and improves draft capital? No, because I do think he's – I think he's going to be very good for this offense and good for Quinn this season. I forget that we did not release any of the rankings calls for the guides because in the Debbie guide, Isaiah Nayor was a my, was a my guy. Anyway, Austin, you're, sh- you're shaking your head. Why do you hate – Isaiah Nayor with the fervor of, thou- of a thousand suns. I-, I soured on him. Like the the idea of Nayor to Texas, what I think was pretty exciting when he went there last year. And then I soured on him as the summer went on before the knee injury. Really, because I don't I don't think he's the level of athlete that people want to make him out to be. He's a really big guy who wins at the catch point, but and I think that works fairly well at Wyoming. I think you're really going to struggle to necessarily make that work consistently at a high level at Texas with, as Matt said, some of these other guys around him. And the names were a little different last year going into the season. But I mean, at this point, it's it's going to be Sanders. It's going to be still a little bit of Whittington. It's going to be worthy. And then I, I, I think Cook establishes himself as a piece in this offense next year. So that's all you those know, guys that you have to work work through to get work. And he missed a whole year. I I, I have him really, nay or really low. I think he's a day three NFL guy. I, I'm not a, a believer, really. You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Marvin Jones. Um, Interesting. There with the with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I think Jones is a better mover, though. Still, like I, Nayor just looks like he's rumbling and stumbling out there a little bit at times when he's working downfield. Like he's not this great, fluid athlete. I, I people got really excited about him and, and probably isn't going offense. to be after recovering from an ACL. The, we, yeah. We see people improve their athleticism coming yeah. off a knee injury all the time. Yeah. It's, it's a tough situation. It, it, it didn't break his way. Certainly. The one, the one thing I think could help him, at least what we're talking about from a CFF perspective is I think he could become that red zone threat for Quinn Ewers. Cause it's not going to be worthy. They lose Bijan, who is realistically the only player they were trying to go to besides Sanders. And I think with Nayor's size, he possibly could be that guy for them. So I think that's where his value comes from, necessarily on the CFF side. But I mean, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with with what you say. All right, um, Mox, is there something I forgot? Keep me in check here, Mox. I think you're too high on I neighbors. Won't... I threw that. Uh, out real yeah, quick. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna. That's rehash fair. that whole discussion. Um, but there are some Matt doesn't care. Have. He doesn't care. I don't he care anymore. No, you it's, go, it's you go look it's at Felix's fair. rankings or Austin's rankings. It's yeah, you can go look at theirs. Yeah, like that's fine. That's you don't fair. like mine? Guess what? We got we got five other people besides me who rank them. So go ahead and go look at theirs at this point. No, I mean that's fair. I just with how good he was down the stretch, and he improved like so. My big thing on him was uh same thing with worthy, honestly. A lot of drops as a freshman. He cut down on that last year. And again, Jaden Daniels is not a good quarterback. 
but yeah, he's still outproduced worthy. I mean, in SEC competition, like as much as I dislike admitting this, maybe I was wrong on Brian Kelly and LSU. Maybe they are going to be a good team or at least halfway decent. Like I just think having LSU wide receivers also matter when it comes to NFL. I just think he's going to be good. It's hard for me to put any like Brandon Ennis is the one that like I want to keep moving up, but I don't want to be called a homer. So I'm 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 purposely tanking him now. I'm pulling an Alfred and I'm purposely tanking Ohio State players now because I don't want to be considered. I um I actually think I don't have anything to say on neighbors. I have him like down in the twenties. I think he's a good player, but um my I I think you know you say go look at somebody else's ranking. I think that's a nice thing about having you know six six or seven rankers is that you just the consensus like kind of weighs some of those things out so that we're not giving you you know biased or not even like I'm not saying Matt's biased by having Malik you know but just like you know all of us have our biases and I think like the the freshman rankings are where you see it a lot too and I think it actually like I love our consensus fresh incoming freshman rankings because I think you know I'm probably too low on some guys I'm probably too high on some guys at all evens out in the end which is nice yeah, I agree. I mean, like, if you think I'm too low on worthy, everybody else, if they're higher on him, it's going to balance it out. So it doesn't matter. Like, that. that's my point on you don't like it. Austin, Alfred, Colin, Felix. I don't think Mox does does C2C rankings anymore, but you can go look at all theirs. Like, it's not going to hurt my feelings if you don't like my rankings. I, that's fine. No, it won't. Not anymore. Felix, Felix has crushed my soul too many times outside of this show that I just don't care anymore. <laughs> All right. Uh, Austin, you ready to bring us home with your uh, parting shot? You good? All right, Austin. The floor is yours. Football is a brutal physical game, and we've been reminded of that recently with the mortality of players. Uh, Week 17 of the NFL season, I think we all know by now, DeMar Hamlin was the recipient of life-saving CPR. It's fortunate that the Hamlin story has had a palatable ending, because things really weren't looking good there. We talked a little bit about it last week, so I don't need to dive too far into Hamlin. But I do want to talk a little bit about Air Force offensive lineman Hunter Brown, who was not as lucky as Hamlin was. As he left his dorm room on Monday morning, Brown suffered what has been called a medical emergency and collapsed. And like I said, unlike Hamlin, first responders were not able to revive Brown. He passed away at the age of 21. We don't know the cause of death at this stage, and we really don't need to know one to see the tragedy in the situation. We also don't need a long-winded philosophical debate about the value of life or how the media discusses athletes at large or any other number of things that come up on an untimely death. In times like these, it's enough to recognize that these are human beings with families, with friends, and with futures that don't always involve the game. My thoughts are with the Brown family, his teammates, and the Air Force Academy community. Be sure to check out all of the content around the Kansas to King family. Of course, the YouTube page. Follow us on TikTok and the podcast. But that is going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Herbs. We ran out of time. We will get him rescheduled soon for Matt Bruning, Austin Nace, and Chris Moxley. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State National Champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42-20.
Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama, and the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain, their fifth national championship in nine years, their 17th overall. Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks to the end zone. Hunter Renfrow caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill. Just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger, and he's off to the races, nobody will catch him! <laughs> 93 yards for the freshman! Up, made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry, he'll add to that! Goodbye, touchdown Ohio State. From 52 yards.